All right, it's the DT difference. It's 30 years experience in the game. DT systems. E-collars we've been using for a while now, but let's quickly talk about their dummy launchers. They got the Super Pro dummy launcher and the remote dummy launcher. It's a great way for you and your dog to get ready for duck season. Loud bangs, make sure your dog's cool with gunfire before you use it. But I want you to add it to your repertoire, bag of tricks, and get you and your dog ready for duck season. It's the Super Pro Dummy Launcher by DT. Gunner Kennels, baby. Hashtag man's best kennel. Well, it's also now hashtag man's best food crate. It's freaking raccoon proof. You can't get into this thing. Your dog can't bust into the lid and eat all the food. Trust me, I know Memphis has done it in the past. She looks like a blown up pumpkin. Boom. But not anymore. We've got the Gunner Kennel food crate. It's easy to pack easy to store, keeps food dry, which food's an investment, man. That Purina, baby, it ain't cheap anymore. So keep it dry, good, all that stuff, easy to pack, easy to store. The Gunner Kennel Food Crate, slide into DMs if you'd like to learn more. Force fetch, what is it? It's super intimidating to so many people, yet it's not that difficult. I built a step-by-step process that helps you understand it, you and your dog can be successful in it, and it takes the intimidation away of the process so that you and your dog can get to your goals. That's what it's built for. Let me teach you how I do it so that you and your dog can do it. Different breeds, different personalities, problem solving, and more. Check it out. Links in the description. The Force Fetch Course. Baby. Big Show, Lone Ducks, Gundog Chronicles, episode 25. Welcome to the show, everyone. We're happy to have you. We've got some great Q&A. We got Kevin in the house. Give a hey, hello, Kevin. Howdy, howdy. And we got my buddy Zach with us. Zach is from South Carolina. You may have seen him on our Instagram uh, through our winter trip in Charleston. He goes to school in Charleston from Hartsville, South Carolina, and he came up here for the next few weeks throwing birds, doing obedience, kicking butt. Zach, welcome to the show, buddy. Thank you for having me. Wow, that was eloquent. That was so eloquent. Eloquent. He's a first-time podcaster, and uh, uh, we're happy to have him here in the room with Kevin and I. Um, It's been awesome. Yeah, dude, it's so helpful for me having him here. The dogs love him. He's doing a great job, and it makes my life easier. So I'm I'm enjoying his company out there, getting it done, daylight to dark, and now it's past dark, rocking a podcast. So thanks for having us. He also uh, dragged you to the to the gym. I saw this morning on Instagram. Uh, Croc life. I'm already sore, man. If we don't get sponsored a Croc sponsorship on this podcast. We're failures. Failures at life. Yeah, man. Shout out to Crocs. Uh, <laughs> you know, have your people call my people, which is me or Kevin. Um, but, yeah, I wear them. Always. Pulled, always. My feet look like uh, a hobbit. I've got hobbit feet. And they're just muddy all the time. But that's the life of a dog trainer. You got to wear Crocs. Socks with Crocs. Barefoot Crocs. Hiking Crocs, two-wheel drive, four-wheel drive, all day. 
Croc Life. The Croc Life chose me. I didn't choose them. So, I mean. Let's dive right into it. You had a busy day today. Daylight till now. Uh, but I, after talking with Zach a little bit, you had a pretty wild day with a lot of really good training. What, uh, what was kind of the setup for today and like, and, and why that setup? Sure. So we are on our normal grounds now, which I'm really thankful for the, we've had a lot of rain here in New York since I've been back from Charleston. And so our normal training grounds in Mexico, New York have been muddy, muddy, wet. And so none of the grass has been cut. You can't drive your trucks on the gravel road. Um, Four-wheelers are just causing havoc on the ground. So about a week and a half ago, we finally got back into our groove up there. And I desperately have needed water work. So we've been doing swim-by. We've been doing force to water. We've been doing T-pattern. We've been crushing it with the obedience dogs with Zach and I just tag teaming, working dogs next to each other, place, heel, uh, force to hear, which write that down. We need to cover that tonight, force to hear. Yep, you got it. And force to water. Yeah, we can talk about force to water. That sounds good too, Kevin. Yep. Um, But today's setup, we did two different setups uh, after we got all our obedience and, and drill work done. And the first setup was four marks. We've been doing a lot of cheating singles, so throwing marks with the idea that it's giving the dog opportunity to cheat the bank and run the bank instead of being a good dog and going straight through the water. And you kind of need to do a lot of things to get to that point, such as force to water, such as swim by, and being able to handle and all that jazz, but you can do it without that just by slowing down teach him and uh so we've been incorporating that every single day and that's been awesome uh we also taught some young dogs to swim through a pond get out on land turn around and come back through the water um why is that super important can you maybe dig into that a little bit i mean think about it if you're in a beaver pond and you're shooting a duck and it sails into corn stubble on the other side of the bank you know the dog needs to mark that bird and realize that not every bird lands in the water so they got to mark the bird and have the experience to drive through the water drive out on land pick the bird up and then come back and if you've never done it before then basically if you if you have a dog that's never done it before they're going to get the bird generally out on land they're gonna find it and then they're gonna hit the water's edge and be like uh now what i gotta looks swim. different yeah i gotta different swim back this angle yeah so it, it's not rocket science it doesn't take a lot to get them to figure it out but you got to coax them you got to cheerlead them and after they do one the second one's easier the third one's easier and then they got it but it's important to remember that not all blinds are found in the water on the water's edge they're out on land so they gotta run a blind through water get out and keep driving or watch a mark go down go through the water get out of the water and keep driving so don't always have your marks land in water so then a lot of what we were doing was so those cheating singles 
and then Mark's landing outside of water where they got to drive the bank and drive out on the land and find it. Um, different cover. So we were lucky enough to have some mowed strips in the grass. And then right. there was other areas that were thicker. And so we had them drive through that thick cover and find the bird on the other side, right? So they had adversity in their way, drove through it, found the bird, come back through that cover, come back through the pond, and come back. Um, we ran a couple blinds that uh, also really challenged them. They were long. Um, Water or land blinds? Both. So it, it, the first one was through the swim by pond so it was which we'll get into what that means in a few in a few stay tuned basically we ran on top of a a hill and they had to run down a hill across a road through a swim by pond and then another 70 yards further to the blind and from that angle it's kind of easy for them to either go left or right of that pond but they had to be a good dog and go straight through that pond and keep driving and then we did more marks and then we did a another blind that was like into the water out on a point back into water drive through a channel and a channel means a skinny piece of water so there's land on either side of them pretty enticing for them to get out and cheat it yep and they had to stay in that water get out get the bumper turn around come back through the channel get out on an island or a point and then back through water up the hill. So how narrow of a channel are we talking? Like 30 feet? Yeah, probably. Feet? That's probably yeah. a really good estimate. Uh, yeah, let's just say 30 feet wide and maybe 40 yards long, I would guess. So they yeah. had to hold that channel for 30, 40 yards yeah. long. And, again, it's a blind, so I can handle them and help them learn it. Um but all the dogs, I'm telling you, today was a really good day. If they screwed up, I slowed down, taught them, showed them, and then did it again, and they hammered it. Like, they learned their lessons today and, and tried really hard. It was a great day of dog training, man. That's pretty good. How many dogs you run today? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> it's a great question. I don't know. We had a buddy come <laughs> with three of his dogs, uh, Bruce, who brought May May, yep. one of my faves. Yep. Um, he came by today and ran her, um, what kind of dogs was your, the other guy who came by with? They're all labs, two blacks and a chocolate. Cool. Um, you know, I don't know a lot, 30, I don't know. And then they all got two turns and they all got obedience. I mean, they all, we worked hard. <laughs> That's awesome. We worked hard. So one thing you were telling me you, you set up. So, okay. So that was like your morning, morning session. And then you set up a little bit more difficult stuff later, right? You set well, up more for the master level dogs. So to specify, that was our like lunchtime session. So in the morning we did all obedience dogs and we did swim by and we did forced water and sit tr- whistle training. I mean, we did a ton and then around 11 a.m. we got done with that jazz and started that setup. And then what I think you're referring to is our dinner time session, which was from four to 6 45 p.m early bird special to regular person time <laughs> right yeah everybody was getting out of work and we were still grinding okay all right we ran three blinds um with uh who was it memph 
Cruz, Ember, Kenai, Faith, May, and Safe. And then my buddy Chad came, and he brought his two dogs, so that was two more. <laughs> so we ran a bunch That's of dogs a sled on these. Team's worth yeah. the dogs. Yeah. So <laughs> mush. So we ran all those dogs on three really big blinds that, again, we ran one through a swim-by pond that, like, cut the corner of the swim-by pond, so they had to angle entry into the swim-by pond. And not cheat the bank and run around. Not cheat the bank and not square it either. So gotcha. squaring it means, and we had a couple of young dogs do it, so it means they saw the water and took a hard left into it instead of angle into it. And when they take that hard left into it, now they're starting to swim across the pond instead of angling across the pond. We, we want to get a whiteboard. This will be real good to have a whiteboard when we do an Instagram live. Next time. Next time. All right, you're getting aggressive, but I dig your tone. So hopefully people can paint the picture in their yeah. head of like, if, if you are at an angle of this pond, you're hitting it at an angle. If they bang a hard left for these guys or a hard right into the pond, you need to stop them and cast them and angle them across and teach it. Um, and then it was like a 150-yard land run through thick cover and past trees and holding blinds that I left out there, which is good training to get them to run and get comfortable running past holding blinds. Then the second blind was across a road, past some trees and a holding blind to a tree line. It was a little more easy, but it actually gave dogs more trouble than the, the tougher one. Because of crossing the road? Who knows, dude? Well, there was an old fall. Yeah, Zach just brought that up. Uh, one of our marks was landing near where that holding blind was. So there's duck scent there, and maybe some of the dogs were sucking into that scent and slowing down during it but i think there was just some factor that i can't i couldn't tell right i couldn't tell maybe it was the cover maybe it was a holding line maybe it was something but they all pulled to the right basically and i had to handle them left hmm. then uh slope of the land like was it kind of yeah that, like? i mean th dude there's different factors so when you know factors would be wind land slope of the land cover um you never know if like a coyote got into a bird over there or something no. crazy no? i do know that there's no freaking coyote, they got coyotes <laughs> out there. no that that could be one in a million this is like what i mean by factors is like if you look at a patch of ground right and let's say it's sloping downhill right to left at a 30 degree Yep. The dogs are going to fall off that hill. Right. That's why it's or, slow. Or they're going to dig up the hill. One or the other. You have to teach them to hold that line and fight the hill and hold the line. Most of them are going to fall off the hill. Then cover would be like thick grass, short grass, and then into like a cornfield or something. When they hit those different patches of cover, it's going to make them break down. Okay, so they're going to either break down at the different covers or push off of the cover and like fade with the cover to they're going to try and take the simplest way in their brain. And we've got to hold that line. Then wind. If the wind is a stiff wind blowing left to right, they're going to fade with that wind. Um, the wind's going to push them. So they got to dig that shoulder down and hold their line into the wind. 
Um, so those are the factors I mean. I'm not talking about the one in a million coyote peeing on something or uh, turkey, I guess I was turkey getting feathers. Like, you never or, know what was there before. Yeah, but day, when but 10 dogs do no, it, I, I like if one dog succumbed to it, that would be like your one in a million. But when all 10 like kind of fade to the right, there's something there that pushed them to the right. And I don't exactly know what it was. But anyways, it was great training. They all did well. And then the third blind was a poison bird blind. And so for the master dogs, we threw a mark from a holding blind, knowed them off of it. So they saw a mark go down, tell them no bird, here, pulled them off of the bird, and ran the blind. So we go pick up the blind, come back around, get your mark, good right there, Memphis or cruise. And they remember where the bird is and go get it. For the young dogs, we taught it, so I ran the blind, maybe ran the blind again. Then I threw the bird, knowed him off it, and ran him to that blind. So, And then we came back and picked the bird up. So I kind of taught it to them to like build their confidence and go in where they know they've been, and then gave them the reward of the mark after they've done it. Gotcha. So now poison birds, when would this be useful other than when you're training. Well, in a hunt test. Right. But then think about it in a real-life hunting scenario. So, in the old example that I always give on the podcast, <laughs> me and Kevin are... <laughs> you don't even have to say it. I know you're going to be a smart ass. Right. Me and Kevin are duck hunting. I knock my bird dead. It's floating in the decoys. And Kevin cripples his bird, and it sails off 50 yards this way. And it's swimming away. We don't need to go get that dead bird in the decoys... Because it's not going anywhere. Remember the one I shot. Then I'm going to tell that dog, and he's staring at that duck that's dead in the decoys, belly up, just kicking its feet, you know, floating, not going anywhere. But Kevin's is getting away. So I need to be able to pull the dog off of that bird, line him up on the one that's getting away that maybe they saw, maybe they didn't. But I need to have that control in the dog to say, no bird over here, good dog right there, back or Memphis. So go where I tell you to go, not where you want to go. So it's kind of a cr- control thing. It's training. It's it's definitely handy in the duck blind. I mean, I've done that a bunch, duck hunting, where we don't need to pick up these three that are in the decoys, but one's getting away. Go get that one. Or it is dead, but it's way further but away, it and it might be floating in the yeah. current. Exactly. So let's go get that one first, and we'll worry about the short, easy birds later. This is something that I feel like we made this mistake. I don't know. We make a lot of mistakes, but made this mistake a lot hunting years and years ago where you get excited and be like, let's go get those birds. And then the other birds floating away or kind of crippled swimming away. And you kind of have to sit and think like, okay, before the next volley comes, (laughs) what is the most like intelligent way to pick up the birds? Right? Sure. I feel like this is kind of where that comes into play. Sure. And dude, I had a client one time. Oh, it's off of Cayuga Lake. He he was an old timer, and he had a blind built, and the dog sat in the blind with them. No hole for the dog to watch. So the dog just sat next to him. Couldn't see anything fall, so boom, 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 boom. And he'd be like, all right, uh, Whiskey was his name. Whiskey. All right, let's go, Whiskey. I liked Whiskey. Yeah, he was a good dog, man. So he'd walk him down the dock. 
you know, 50 yards down the dock, 50 yards to the beach, and tell them back. And I had to teach this, like, seven-month-old puppy to take a line, and he would swim out into the decoys and find the birds. And, I mean, that takes so much control and discipline and trust and confidence in a young, any dog, really. Patience, everything. I mean, that's just having a damn good dog. Right. Old Whiskey probably had no idea what was going on, but <laughs> we trained him. <laughs> we trained his but. But anyways, um, so that's how that guy hunted. He It was like a, a really long jump off the dock, so the dogs couldn't do that. It was shallow water, so if it was like a, let's say, a six-foot jump off the dock into two foot of water, that's just danger zone. So he'd walk the dog off the dock, pull the dog off to the side to the beach, and send the dog out off of, to a bird. He had no idea where it was. He just had to go out and wind it. Yeah. Um, I mean, that... I guess that's kind of part of what that poison bird is. Just, hey, man, trust me. I'm, t- I'm telling you where to go. Go, and you'll find the reward at the end of the tunnel. So, all right, let's move on. I, I think we covered that. Yeah, no, I thought that was really good. Um, what else I want to get into today? Oh, so we talked a little bit about um, running blinds and swim bys. You mentioned that earlier, but I don't think everybody knows what a swim by is. Um we hunted a swim by pond a few times last year. That didn't go over very well. Remember, were you, were you there hunting that pond? I think so, but I called it the swim by pond just because it was long and skinny. You mean at Reeves? Yeah, at the farm. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't a swim by. Not pond. a good. Not a, a good. swim by pond. Technically, is like maybe fifteen yards wide by thirty yards long. And so it's a small piece of water that's built like a rectangle and you put a a white pole and bumpers across the pond. Like you're standing in the middle of the pond. Middle of the rectangle. Yup. And you got a pile right across. It looks like mini tea. So you got an o- two over piles and a back pile. Yep. And we first start off with force to water. So even if a dog loves water, Loves to swim, loves to go. I still am going to teach them that they have to go. So I've taught them through force fetch and force to a pile on land. Now I'm going to teach it on water. Why wouldn't you, right? If you teach it on land, you got to be hunting water. So you got your pile across the little tiny pond. It's a short swim, and you got a big white bumpers on the other shoreline and a white pole. It's super easy, black and white, for them to see and understand. And you are three yards off of shore, two yards off of shore, and you say, dead bird, good right there, back. And when you say back, you nick, 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 until they get in the water. As soon as they get in the water, pressure's turned off. Now, some dogs don't figure it out so easily so i have a bumper in my hand and as soon as they hit that water and they're facing the bumper pile i pitch a bumper across the pond and they see it fall and they just like keep hauling butt and pick it up i just or you could establish the pile beforehand pitch a couple bumpers across the pond at that white pole good right there back nick 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 and they get it and now you're rolling so you do six or eight or ten force to waters where they're getting pressure to get into the water and the pressure's turned off when they get in the water. They're a good dog. They go get the bumper. They come back. Um, 
So the pressure is more just like, all right, no, definitely get your butt in there. Yeah, you got to do it. There's no choice. Because what's going to happen someday is it's going to be freezing cold and your dog's going to have picked up 15 birds and it's going to say, no, I don't want to. Or you're going to be at a hunt test and it's going to be challenged. And if they don't go, you fail or whatever. But it's a tool in your tool belt of retriever training that says you have to. This is not an option. Go. Good it's dog. It's just what you do. Yeah, it's just what you do. Good dog when you do it. Proud of you. But you got a little bit of pressure to make sure that you do it. So then once you've created that force to pile and compulsion to go to the bumpers across the pond, you can start handling. So I've already taught on land mini T and T pattern. So they're stopping on a whistle on land. They're casting overs and backs, and they're doing great. When I integrate that into water, I've got to teach that dog to tread water. Right. Well, how do you teach a dog to tread water? Not easy. Yeah, not easy, not hard, right? So basically, once they're done four or five sessions of force to water, I line them up, good dog, back. They get halfway across that little pond, I blow my whistle. They keep swimming, I blow my whistle, sit. Verbal sit. 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 Good. Sit. Sit. And they're like spinning around and they're looking at me and they might like keep spinning in a circle and start heading back to the back pile. Toot. Sit. 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 Good. Good Good dog. Sit. You sit. yelling sit into a microphone is absolutely hysterical. <laughs> yeah, but I'm getting the point across because it's no, not like are. it happens on the first time, right? Like you're just coaching. That's what training is. You're coaching the dog into just looking at you. And they might be veering off one way or might be veering off the other way, and you're just talking to them to keep their attention on you, and then you cast. Good dog. They go and get it. You bring them back. Send them back to that back pile straight. Don't stop them. Whenever you stop a dog, you want to intermix. So it's like every other time, every third time, every time, every other time. So they're not used to or anticipating you blowing that whistle, whether it's on land or water. If they anticipate it, they're going to pop and look back at you. So you want to switch it up so they're always driving to the pile and not stopping and looking and anticipating the whistle. So, again, I'm going to just go over it again. I'm going to send that dog. When they get halfway across the pond, I'm going to blow my whistle, and I'm going to do everything in my power to get that dog to turn and look at me. And I'm going to, good, good, sit, good, good, sit. Good. And all of a sudden, after 10 times of that, or maybe the third session, and it's 20 times, they're going to just all of a sudden start treading water and gotcha. watch you until you can cast them gently. As if they, they were on land, just sitting, looking at you, exactly. waiting for what do I do next. Exactly. It makes sense. So once they're crushing it to the back pile, taking left backs and right backs and treading water nicely, you can incorporate the over overs. And again, I might pitch, you know, as I cast them, I might pitch a bumper to the left. And they swim and go and get it. Good dog. I'm going to, this is in depth, but. So then once they get to the overpile on the left hand side, I blow my whistle, I walk to them, and I heal them back to the center where I started from. Okay? You don't want them running the bank all the way back to you. So I'm going to send them across, blow my whistle, give them an over, 
They're going to swim over to the bumper on the overpile. They're going to get out of the water and pick the bumper up. As soon as they pick that sucker up, toot, sit. They're sitting at the pile. Okay. I'm going to walk over to the dog, heal them back with me to where I start from. Gotcha. Okay. The idea behind that is I don't want them running the bank back. This is just the beginning. They're going to have a lot more to do by the end of swim by. So in the beginning, I'm just teaching, go over to that pile, pick it up. I'm going to come and get you. I walk them back, back, go to the back pile, come back, send them again, toot, right over. Go to the right over pile, pick it up, toot. I walk over to them, good dog, pick it up, come back. Gotcha. And the other thing is I will walk the entire shoreline with my arm out saying over all the way to the other end of the pond and meet them there basically. And so I'm overing all the way to the pile. Just to really exaggerate, make sure that they fully, totally, absolutely understand. 100%. And, like, that's the beautiful part of it if they do it perfect. A lot of them are going to still try and swim into you. So you're going to toot back, toot over, toot back, 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 over, toot back. And you're just going to fight them all the way until they get used to swimming back and forth through that pond, taking your casts. And you're going to develop that to where you can handle them thoroughly and fluidly, overs and backs. You can send them to the left pile, stop them at the left pile, give them an over to the right, and they'll get back in the water, swim past you, hashtag swim by, swim (laughs) by you, okay, okay, back to the right pile. So they now just swam 40 yards, just going all the way across the pond to the other pile, Stop them there, cast them back in the water to the center, and call them in. When they're doing that, mint, overs, backs, in in the pond, out of the pond, over, 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 back, 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 and they're just going where you tell them to go, you've completed swim by. One of the questions I had is, what's the difference between swim by and water tee? I don't know. I think it's the exact same thing. Tee pattern. I feel like we've argued this before, and somebody had like a real. It was Matt Peel. Yeah, he had a very, like, technical... No, it was the exact same thing. Remember, I was like, no, dude, it's the same thing. He's like, no, but it's this. I'm like, yeah, but that's the same thing. To me, it's the same thing. All you're doing is teaching the dog to sit on the whistle and and tread water, and you're teaching them to cast, and you're teaching them to stay into water, and you're teaching them to swim wherever I tell them to go. That's swim by, that's water tea in my book. To me, it's two different words, same definition. You're just teaching the dog to handle in the water under a very controlled circumstance, setting, whatever. Now, I had a buddy one time. People are going to be like, well, I don't have a perfect swim-by pond. Me either, most of my life and career. I now have one, super helpful. But like in South Carolina, I don't have one. I've got a little tiny cove in a pond where I can put in a back pile and a leftover pile and then I send my right bumpers out into the middle of the pond. But then I turn around and go the other way, right? I run it backwards. So my back pile is now where I start. Gotcha. Okay. And I can do right overs to the shoreline and do it like that. So it's, yeah. it's makeshift. And then another a friend of mine one time told me, go to like any mall in America, and they have those tiny oh. retention ponds. 
right? Well, that's a really good point. So you got little retention ponds in neighborhoods and golf courses and whatnot where they're 20 foot long, 40 foot wide, and they're just holding water. As long as it's not grimy as heck and it's yeah. okay, send it, man. Just That's a great swim-by pond, and you don't need to own a piece of property with a swim-by pond. There it is. Um, that's also probably where a thousand geese hang out in the parking lot and just... Oh, yeah. Your dog will eat goose poop. I promise. Yep. So that's how I do swim by. That's my definition of it. And right now we got a bunch of dogs on it. So maybe uh, maybe tomorrow Zach will film me and we'll we'll do a video on swim by. Yeah, I think that'd be good. You feel like getting into a few questions from Instagram? Yeah, let's rock it, buddy. Nice, man. So I, I had a good conversation with a guy, Joe. Joe, if you're listening, appreciate the conversation, man. Uh, he has a beautiful little Griffon, sent me a few pictures, named Kimber. Pretty cool little dog. Um, had great feedback for the for the podcast. Also appreciate that. Hit us up with a five-star review. Just My saying. man. Um, but was wondering about Stay. I figured I could give him my two cents on Stay, uh, but I know that you have your own I guess like philosophy on what stay is for different f- dogs, but like so, g- give me the rundown for Joe. Uh, you know, if Joe was in the room, how would you get his dog Kimber to stay longer, better, more obedient, so on? All right. First off, we got a little backstory. He's got a younger puppy, a few months old. All right. So Joe, rule number one is. Don't worry about it just yet. At six months old, we start formal obedience, and we really adhere to that kind of thing. When they're young, excuse me, like the Brew, who's four and a half months old, you know, my dog Brew, we're getting him to sit still, and it's like, man, if we get 10 seconds out of him, we're pleased. So you're taking that small, short attention span and growing it over time. It'll be three seconds, then five seconds, then 10 seconds, then 30 seconds. And he's waiting for his food and all those things. So you're using, you're praising him for waiting longer and longer and holding his attention with treats and things like that. But but at a young age, you're not asking him to stay for 20 minutes at a time on a placemat, in my opinion. Um, now, the word stay to me is a no no. I know I don't teach a single dog stay. None of my dogs know what that word means. I teach sit, I teach down, I teach place or kennel, and they don't do anything or woe for a pointer, and they don't do anything until I release them. Again, look at it from the brew standpoint where he's four months old, we're building that time. You know, right now it's 10 seconds. Next month it'll be 30 seconds. At six months it'll be a minute. And at a year old he'll just stay there until he knows, you know, I tell him he can get off. So to me, stay is a throwaway word. Think about, and I do this with all my obedience clients who want to tell their dog stay. You know, you got your dog at the front door and you're going to work and the dog's like buttoned to try and get out the door and they're like, using their leg to kick the dog back, and they're like, stay, stay, stay. Well, 
what the heck does that mean? If you really taught the dog stay, when you get home from work, it should be standing right there at the door and hadn't moved in eight hours. But what it means to the dog is, well, I'll just hang out here for five seconds until I, I do my own thing and do whatever I want. So it's never truly adhered to to how I make it. That's probably not really eloquent or grammatically correct. No, but I know what you're trying to say. Like, if if I say sit, I meant sit until I say you can do, do anything, anything but else. sit. Right. So that's why I'm just saying simplify for the dog. Why does he have to learn a completely new command that means the exact same thing as sit? All right, sit, stay. Down, stay. Place, stay. No, sit. Down, place. They. It's one last thing they have to learn, worry about, think about. Just do what I tell you to do until I tell you to do something different. Now, how do I do it? I build up their patience and attention span over time. So I'll put a dog in sit and I'll back up and then I'll go back to the dog, give them a treat or praise them. Why do you always go back to the dog? This is, this is important. Yes, sir. I was getting to that, Kevin. Oh, well, I like to cut you off. It's more fun. It's more fun. No, it's great. It really is a good question. I'm busting chops. So I always go back to the dog and I'll kind of go through the motions a little bit before I answer the question. So I'm going to start with, for instance, Brew at four and a half months old. I got a four-foot lead on him. Tell him sit. I walk to the end of the four-foot leash. I walk back to him, give him a treat. Okay? Then over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to put a 20-foot check cord on him, sit him down, walk to the end of the 20-foot check cord, and then go back to the dog and give him a treat and praise him. And then, you know, you can start doing semicircles and walk all the way around him and you can throw bumpers and you can do all these great things while he's sitting there looking at you and you always go back to the dog and praise him. So basically, what Kevin's question was is why do I go back to the dog? In my mind, how I do it, and I do it every day, multiple times a day, high repetition, habit forming in a dog's brain, this is how I see it, right? I'm going to sit right here. Bob's coming back to me. I'm going to sit right here. Bob's coming back to me. I'm going to sit right here. I know Bob's coming back to me. I'm just going to sit right here. Until he comes back to me. Then... What a lot of people will do is, hey, Brew, sit. Walk 20 feet away. Brew, here. And they call the dog to him. And then they sit him down, and they back up 20 feet. Brew, here. And he comes to him, and they give him a treat, and good dog. In a dog's brain, he's thinking, I'm going to sit right here. Bob's going to call me. I'm going to sit right here. Bob's going to call me. I'm going to sit right here. Screw it. I can't take it anymore. He's I know he's got me. treats over he's there. He's going to call he's got me. Treat. I can see it. Right. So they break or they creep and like inch their butt closer and closer to you. And so what you want to create is this patience that I'm always going to go back to them and praise them and kick them loose. If they get in the habit of coming to you, you're going to degrade the sit or stay, for instance. But... We don't use stay, right? So just sit or down or place. I always go back to the dog, reward them, and then let them go from there. So it's either 
uh, here command right, like right next to them, like here, heal, good, or okay, like kick them loose or you're free or whatever you want to do. And you're just rewarding the dog to come off of the placemat, the sit or the down by a command. They're being told they can get up and do something else. And that's how I do it, man. It's a slow, steady process. It takes time. It takes patience. Now, let's say your dog breaks from set, right? So brew gets up. What do I do? I put him back where he broke from. And here it is in my brain again. Dogs are wolves of nature. They are descendants of wolves. Every dog, if you break it down, has wolf DNA. So old mama wolf has eight pups in a den, and it's dangerous outside. She wants all the puppies inside. So she's going to grab that wolf brew puppy who leaves the den. She's going to grab him by the scruff and put him back in the den. Old Brew's a, a real pain in the A, so he's gonna go back outside. And brew dog, Brew Wolf Master. Brew. He goes back out. Mama grabs him by the scruff, puts him back in the den. Grabs him by the scruff, pack in the den. All of a sudden, Brew's gonna think, "Hmm, she must really mean I need to stay in here." So if you take a dog and you sit him down, and he gets up and moves a foot towards you. I might give him the first one as a freebie and see how it goes. If he gets up again, I'm going to grab him by the collar gently, but I'm going to grab him. I'm going to lift him up a little bit, and I'm going to put him back where he broke from, right where I told him to sit in the beginning. Okay, And depending on the dog's skill level, like Brew, he's four and a half months old, I'm going to be a little bit more gracious with him and give him a little more leeway to teach. But Memphis, four years old, I tell her sit and she gets up, zero leeway. I'm putting her back where she broke from in a little more rough, stern way. No, sit. I told you right here. This is where I told you. Sit down. Sit. Because she knows the rules. Because she knows the rules. Brew's learning the rules, so I'm going to teach him, teach him, teach him, teach him, teach him. You got to show him the way before you make him walk the walk. But, again, I'm still going to put Brew back where he broke from. So, like, we're teaching him place right now. If he gets off a place, I'm going to put him back on place. I'm not going to, like, heal him around and put him back on there 10 seconds later. I'm going to put him right back where he broke from place. Good dog. Treat. Good dog. Treat. Okay. Come on. Let's go. Heal. Good. Okay. All right. Place. Oh, he got off place. Place. Put him back on. So, you're always putting the dog back where they broke from. You're increasing over time the duration that they'll sit down or place. And that's that. Next question, bro, Montana. I thought that was a real good one. I like that uh, one of the things that I know we we talk about a lot, not an Instagram question here, one of the things we talk a lot of is how the dog learns and, like, the dog's point of view and how, like, dog psychology, right? Because people learn differently than dogs, but dogs have that understanding of very black and white, pressure on, pressure off, right and wrong, and being able to stay within those little uh yeah buoys so i, look, to speak, I, right? I like, say that's more important than anything like just dogs learn different than people you can't treat them like a kid right it has to be very black and white right so i do comfortable or uncomfortable comfortable and praise so for instance again the sit command as they age and we start phasing treats out i'm going to lift up on the lead on their neck so that's uncomfortable 
butt hits the ground, I relax the lead, comfortable, and then I praise him with either my praise or a treat. Yeah. Uncomfortable, comfortable, and praise. And they learn to turn that uncomfortable off quickly because they want to get that praise and they want to stop that uncomfortable quickly. Yeah. It kind of sucks when someone's grabbing at your collar. Much cooler to just listen and sit where they said to sit. No doubt. What's up next, buddy? Yeah, so uh, this was a good one. Birds and Dogs 17 uh, was chatting with you a little bit earlier on Instagram. So that was really cool. If anyone has any questions, problems, concerns, anything, send it our way on Instagram at Lone Duck uh, or shoot us an email, LoneDuckPodcast at gmail.com. But anyways, Birds and Dogs um, was saying that he's looking at a few different Chessie breeders and has read that uh, some people advertise that their dogs are introduced to all sorts of different distractions and gunshots and bird wings and this and that. And had mentioned that he was looking at like what age to shoot over a pup or introduce pups to gunfire and stuff like that. And he had mentioned six-week-old puppies. Personally, real early. Real early for that one. But wanted to get your opinion on, one, when should we do that? And, two, thoughts on breeders who are potentially shooting over pups. No no doubt. Good question. Um, first off, I'm going to shoot everybody over to our YouTube channel. A little self-promo. Lone Duck Outfitters on YouTube. We've got a pretty in-depth where you're going to see Kevin wield a shotgun. Let me tell you, there's no winging, uh, winging birds there. Yeah, he just had to shoot in the air at nothing. Listen, well, that's fine. That's fine. I he did just a damn good pull job the at trigger. It. I'm proud of you. He didn't shoot me. All right. Um, Not on camera. <laughs> all right. So I think what these breeders are doing is good marketing. Hey, we introduced our dogs to birds and gunfire and all this jazz and water. Hold on, Kevin. Just let me talk. So. I see him. He's mouthing. It's, it's not good marketing. It is because people don't get it, and that's why I'm going to explain that's why. That's marketing. Well, yeah, go go ahead. Do your thing. So what I think these breeders are doing is trying to entice puppy buyers into saying, holy cow, my new puppy's already going to be introduced to gunfire, and wow, what a great step. Now, I don't think it's smart, and that's where Kevin's like jumping at the bit to be like, these people are knuckleheads, and I agree with him wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. I don't know how they're doing it. I'm going to err on the side of their dumbasses, and I mean it in the most disrespectful way. You don't do that. Now, if they're introducing puppies to gunfire while they're eating, and the gunfire's 200 yards away, and it sounds like a light, okay, if that's how they want to do it, I'm cool with it because the puppies aren't going to be bothered. It's no biggie. But if they're taking a 22 and banging rounds off while puppies are doing whatever puppies do, I think that's dumb. And I think it can cause more problems. And, that again, this is why Kevin's chomping at the bit because he's right. It's dumb. It's bananas. They're babies. Right. And you have room for error. What if one of those puppies shits its brains out because it's scared to death that you know, old Uncle Johnny, the breeder, is banging rounds off 20 yards away while they're trying to eat dinner. And now that one puppy's ruined for life or is maybe not gun-shy but gun-sensitive because he did something like this. I think it's dumb. 
I think the right way to do it is to, when you have puppies, and this is how we did it, yeah, we rattled things around, we made loud noises, we had music playing, we did things to desensitize them to weird stuff while they were having a ton of fun and playing with each other and outside, and and I think that's good. But I can tell you right now that I banged some pans around, and I was like, ooh, I'm not doing that again because it just startled them. And it did it enough to where I was like, that was too much, too close, too soon, whatever. Yeah. You want to use things that are high drive, food, retrieves, to slowly, at a distance, build them up to anything that could spook them. So for me, how I do gunfire, again, YouTube it. We did a nice video, and it, it is very in-depth. I build drive. So right now, Brew is four and a half months old. He's hauling butt to a bumper and going to get him and picking it up. I'm still not ready to shoot a gun near him. We're getting there, but we're not there yet because we got other things we got to work on. Sometimes he brings it back. Sometimes he uh, runs the other way and then turns around and runs back to me. Sometimes he fiddle farts around and then brings it back to me. Most of the time he does right, but we got other th- more important things to do before we do that. When you've got a young dog who's crushing it, going and getting a bumper, nothing can stand in his way, loves swimming, loves retrieving, cover, everything, you're ready. Might be five months, might be six months, might be eight months. There's no time frame, but this is one thing you don't want to rush. In my video, I coined the term, probably should trademark it, but you don't have a gun dog (laughs) if they're afraid of guns. You can't have a gun dog if they are afraid of guns. You'll never take them hunting if you screw this up. So, how I do it. First off, like I just said, build that retrieve drive. They're crazy for it. Nothing stands in their way. Now, you get a guy like your brother Kevin. <laughs> Kevin takes a 22, either a blank primer pistol or a real 22 and points it in a safe direction. And he's 100, 120 yards away. I've got Kevin in my back pocket. So, Kevin, when I raise my hand, you're going to shoot the gun. Okay, Bob, cool. Kevin's 120 yards away. I've jacked the puppy up, playing fun bumpers, and I'm teasing him with it, and I throw it. When he's halfway to that bumper, I raise my hand. So that dog is doing many things. One, he's focused on the fun bumper. He's breathing heavy. He's running through cover. He's creating noise around him to help dampen that sound. And then all of a sudden he hears pop off goes his 22 and I the trainer am watching my dog I don't care about Kevin I don't care about anything else I'm watching that dog if that dog stops and looks around and wonders what's going on back up back Kevin up give him a freebie give that dog a free bumper let him build that drive up don't think twice keep on driving buddy so now Kevin if the dog was spooked is at 150 and now I've done two or three I do another one throw it he's halfway to it raise your hand kevin shoots now the dog doesn't pay any attention he drives right to the bird or bumper i mean great brings it back to you do it again again kevin moves into 100 yards throw it halfway there kevin shoots now 75 now 50 now end don't get greedy end it so you've done five or six or seven where the dog is crushing it 
to and from the bumper without paying any attention to that sound, having the time of his life. Day two, Kevin starts out at 100, 75, 50, 25, 25, 25, end it. Dog has paid no attention to Kevin or the gun, and he's just crushing it. Day three, 75, 50, 25, 25, 10, 10, maybe next to you. That is not my decision. Don't rule this that after three sessions, Bob said do it. You are reading your dog. Take your time. So what are some things? So Very good. Super important. I love the can't have a gun without a gun dog. I liken it to like, you know, if you know July 4th coming up, so you might as well bang off a few firecrackers around your toddler. Uh, that's a good one, too. Good job, Kevin. Yeah, dude, that's a no-no. Don't say, oh, I don't have a twenty-two, so I'm going to go get some M80s and bang M80s around your dog. That's different than a gunfire, and that's just lazy. You can get a primer pistol for 80 bucks on gun dog supply like take your time guys this is this is serious july 4th is you know there's memes out there like oh cute your dog's afraid of fireworks mine's searching for a duck no they're not no they're not <laughs> i promise you they're not it's cute it's funny it's a joke it's not funny because dogs really can get screwed up from this you know, a good gun dog who's done this stuff a lot, yeah, it's probably not going to be afraid of fireworks. I get it. But don't take your dog to a fireworks show. No. Don't take your puppy to a fireworks show. It'd be like taking a baby there and being like, oh, no, it's fine. It's not a baby at all. Right. Like, this is what? this this is really, I mean, I'm actually kind of fired up about this. Yeah. Cause it, cause I get messages about this all the time. So please be smart. Please do your best to do it the right way. And... Try to have a handsome guy banging off rounds out in a field for you like Bob does. Yeah, he means himself. But I, so if you didn't catch that he was handsome. Listen, come on. So a few uh, extra LBs on him nowadays. <laughs> uh, we're going to move on. Uh, All right. So, so birds and dogs, 17. Yeah. Uh, I, to, to, I appreciate to circle, the question. Yeah, to circle it is back. phenomenal because it is such a, an important topic that – Breeders try and honestly pull a fast one on you, and I I don't I don't want to call it good marketing because that's dishonest and that's not how you should treat people. Or well, the they might have done it. It's, it's they might have done right. It. I agree, man. I'm just saying they might have done it. It is what it is. But I'm just saying I, as a breeder and raising puppies, don't do it that way. I don't think it's smart. I think there's a lot of room for error, and I think. If you do the right steps, you build retrieve drive, you slowly introduce it when the dog is maturing into a young gun dog and knows their task at hand and is confidently kicking ass, doing fun bumpers, yeah. and is got some skills, then you can introduce it. And if they show any sign at all during that stage, back up, slow down, give them a couple freebies, and slowly progress. I've, dude, I had gun-shy dogs in training that through this method, I've fixed them from being gun-shy, and now they hunt. Right. So it's tried and true. Take your time. Do it right. If you screw this up, you are not hunting with that dog. And Period. I'm sorry. So do yep. it right. Take your time. So Next question. Last question, buddy. We're at 53 minutes. Last question. 
so we got a good one um, from TJ Schnall. Awesome. Appreciate the question. Repeat offender on the questions. He was on last week. Was he? Yeah, man. My man. Hope He's he also duty. put through down a five-star review, but we'll see. Don't think I don't read them. Um, so, TJ, appreciate the question, man. Really cool. Also was following along uh, our good buddy Durrell from Gundog Notebook. Great dude. Good friend of the podcast. Um, put up a recent video on Instagram uh, of his little dog, cute little dog, Vegas, uh, doing a little woe work on the barrel. Durrell was adding distractions like birds, tug on his leash, all sorts of different things to try to entice Vegas into pretty much breaking on his woe and reinforcing the woe and making sure he was doing a good job. Uh, TJ was wondering, like, is there anything in the retriever world that is kind of synonymous with that? Like, wh- like what? Um, I got gotcha. you. Like, like, what can we do, right? Yeah, I got gotcha. you. All right. So, again, Darrell from the Gundog Notebook is a good good buddy, good friend of ours. Um, and he was using his check cord dogs on woe on his barrel and he's got the check cord on him and he's tugging at the check cord flipping it around the dog's head creating distractions and the dog's standing still so back to our earlier question of stay and sit and down in place woe is the same for pointers it means just stand still okay so for a pointer just stand there whether there's a bird there or not, I told you, whoa, just stand. Don't break that standing, whoa, until I tell you you're released. So Durrell is adding distractions and challenges to that dog and making him stay standing. So to dive into his question a little more, he was asking, is whoa relevant in a retriever? I don't use it. I don't think so. If you're training a pointing lab, yes. Again, it's because you're teaching that lab to point a bird and it means to stand still. But in the real, like, retriever world, woe doesn't have anything to do with what we do, but those techniques that they're using do. So, for instance, little brew, in maybe a month or two, when he's crushing sit and place, I might take that lead and just create a little pressure on his neck towards me. And at first he's Trying gonna be to like pull him. Pull at him first he's gonna set. be like, "Oh, Bob means get up off my butt and come to him." <laughs> no, because I didn't tell you to sit down. So they have to like resist it, right? Like tug back, almost like lean away from it, and be like, "I'm not moving because you didn't tell me. I'm just gonna sit." Or in Durrell's point, he's just woeing. Don't move, even though there's a tug. Just resist it. I told you woe, or I told you sit. So resist that temptation to move, just sit. So it's kind of a easy question. It's kind of a, but it's a good thing to reinforce when you're working on your sit or your down or your place or your woe to add distraction as a dog learns. Add, um, well, add distractions, add challenges, increase the, their likelihood of breaking off of it, pitching bumpers, um, tugging on that lead to get them to break, and if they break, put them back where they broke from. Sit, down, place, or woe. It just means stay right there. Don't move. And uh, increase locations. You know, we get a lot of questions or comments like, 
hey, my dog's great in the house and great in the yard, but when I take him into a public place, you know, he doesn't listen. Well, cool. I get it because in your house, in your backyard, there's very few distractions. He's comfortable. You've done a ton of reps there. Now you have to take him somewhere where there's a little bit more distractions. Increase the distraction level. Adhere them to that standard of obedience and then they'll get comfortable with more distractions and then you take them to a place with even more distractions and even more distractions and all of a sudden you've built it up to a duck boat with three guns going off and ducks falling into decoys and kevin shooting three rounds off and his duck flies away (laughs) and they still sit i think (laughs) See how I bring that around, guys? I know. It, it was See like how I bring it around to Kevin always missing birds? It's, listen, it's just fallacies everywhere. But the, I think the important part of this is like, yes, I think that can be applicable in the retriever world. And I think. But not for, not generally, dude. No, I disagree because. In, whoa, in, the command whoa? No, not the command whoa. But I'm saying but adding. technique. Hit, yes. So, okay, so. Right. Whoa, no. The importance of adding distraction to your dog's obedience and making sure and reinforcing that, like I said, sit. When we're out hunting, you sit on that Momar stand until I say go. Otherwise, people are going to be banging off rounds while the dog's trying to break and swim in the decoys and things like that. Like, there's safety implications for this. Like, there's a lot of different reasons why you want to try to create opportunities and entice the dog to break so that you can fix those op- fix those issues before it's go time and it's hunting season and we're trying to like let it rip absolutely right so i guess that's what i meant where yeah i, I know could see i'm just where, busting your chops well, you're absolutely right yeah but i think that's important all right hey we are 59 by 59 now one hour Guys, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode 25. We are a quarter century old now in the podcast. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Self-promo, the Lone D, LoneDuckOutfitters.com. All right? We got hats, hoodies, T-shirts. Up in New York, it's cold as you know what out. We're got sh- a I'm wearing a hoodie right now. sweatshirt on right now. We got Zach's got a good-looking hat on. Yep. Dig it. Dig it. So do me a favor. If you enjoy the podcast, do a couple things. At a bare minimum, it's free. Give us a five-star rating. Shoot us a comment. If you like it, if you think you know, we need to add something or take something away, we love to hear your feedback. If you have training questions, shoot us a DM on Instagram, at Lone Duck. If you want to rep a little Lone D in your life and show people about the unspoken bond and how you like your dog and training your dog and hunting your dog, Check it out. We've got a lot of cool apparel. Truly appreciate it. You need e-collars? We got them. You need wingers? We got them. We've got some deals coming out with other companies that we're really excited about rolling into 2019. We're halfway through the year, I feel like. Good Lord. But you know what? It's a good thing. The podcast is cruising. we got a great following. Thank you all for supporting us. It really means a lot. I can't believe, honestly, you guys like hearing us talk. You guys are knuckleheads. No, I'm kidding. You guys are the best, and you uh, you make it worthwhile. All your questions make it make me feel like we're actually making a difference in our community. 
So thank you. Keep tuning in. Next week, it's going to rock. I don't know what we're doing, but it's going to be awesome. We got some guests lined up for June and July. So stay tuned. Cheers to you and the Lone Duck Gundog Chronicles. Thanks. Hey, join our community. If you enjoy the show, if you enjoy our YouTube, if you enjoy Instagram, it's like buying me and Kevin a beer. Join patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. The link is in the description. Click that link, join the community. We've got tons of great videos, tons of great content, and you can ask me more questions. So join it, enjoy it. We did it for you and you're helping us produce this show. So thank you so much to that community. Get in, get out, let's roll. Patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation, to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.